Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 92 to Kushiro. To where? <laughs> Not very far from where you've been to recently, because that's in Hokkaido. That's ah. the fourth biggest city in Hokkaido, the biggest in the eastern part of that island in the north of Japan. It's still tiny, actually. <laughs> the airport as well. But you know what? We have a very long episode, and I wanted a short airport at the end, so that will be it. And also... <laughs> We are transiting era in Japan. We're going from Heisei to Reiwa. That's going to be very soon. That's going to be one of the news we'll share about today. Another few tidbits of Japanese news as well. And we have so many airports we need to dash anyway. So, I am Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the jet lag of watching the movie last night. I only slept four hours. Oof. No spoilers, guys. Don't worry. There is maybe jet lag in Avengers. <laughs> and maybe that this episode will be as long as uh, the movie. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding here. Um, one apology for the last episode. We had a slight uh, sound issue. I have this... Uh, very bad tendency of talking over Alex from time to time. And it was even worse in the last episode because of some strange layout of the tracks. I don't know what happened. So sorry, guys. It seems from time to time that we were talking over each other all the time, especially me. I hope it doesn't happen again in this one. And also, I've stopped my server next to my computer because you could hear it at some point. I'm really sorry. I changed the layout of my office and I'm still getting used to it. So sorry for that. We talked about big airports, obviously Istanbul. Actually, you know what? I don't know if you've heard, but I've heard that Istanbul, no matter how big it is, the taxi, of course, is very long, but they have buses, which... Oh, come on. Yeah. I'm like... Why did you build such a big airport if you have buses? I mean, I don't get it. Remind me to tell you later about our bus experience at Innsbruck. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> we'll cover, guys, Innsbruck soon as well, because Alex has just been to it, as he just told you. So I said big airports. We have big airports here in the UK, one of which is uh, Gatwick. Have you ever been to Malta yourself? Yes, I have. I was there last year. I don't think we've covered the airport. We'll do that as well at some point. Is it a big airport? I've never been. Um, no, it's not huge. It's it's very nice. Very, very well laid out with a wonderful lounge that has a huge outdoor viewing area. Because the Minister of Tourism has announced that they want Malta Airport to become as big as Gatwick in terms of passengers. Uh? It's a very small island. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, maybe they want to go to a hub-and-spoke model, but do they even have an airline? Air Malta, I think? Yes, they do. They have Air Malta, as you say. And I think there's another one as well that's a, more of a charter carrier, but it's not a big airport and it's not a big island. It was an old RAF base, if I'm not mistaken. But to go as big as Gatwick seems, like, overly enthusiastic. Yeah, it does, because <laughs> they had 6 million passengers last year, and what did Gatwick have? 50 million? <laughs> yeah, at least. <laughs> Something like that? <laughs> 
I, I anyway, so good luck, guys. Maybe actually Air Malta is the next Emirates, so why not? But I was very surprised at that piece of news. Another airport that we've covered in the past, that we've both been me many times at you at least twice, is Beirut Airport. Yep. Beirut is actually seeing an extension finally. So the extension is supposed to be opening this uh, coming June. Currently, I mean, you remember the airport is overcrammed with people. The security layers doesn't help either because you queue forever. Actually, uh, I think Ben Schlappig for one mile at a time recently reviewed Beirut Airport and he was baffled at how bad it was. Yeah, it's not had... great, is it? <laughs> so they have this master plan to go to 30 million passengers a year, but that is way, way into the future. And we know that the economy is not doing well, so I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. But they are revamping both the east and the west side. I think they're starting with the side that is not looking to the sea. Bit better, more gates. So good luck to them as well, because it's worth having a good airport there, I believe. It is. It is. It's one of the more stable regions or countries or cities even in the region. And it's beautiful. So, I mean, if they can make that that experience a little bit better, then great. Everybody wins. Yeah, and uh, MEA, the national airline, is buying 15 new airplanes starting this year, 11 of which will be A321s, and the four others will be wide-body, but they're not specified which ones. Maybe 330 years, but uh, good luck to them as well. Yeah, the A321 makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, absolutely. On that topic, our most loyal listener, Mathieu Guillaume Duluc, had sent me a few weeks ago an article called My Airport, Beirut International Airport. That's on popular.com. I'll mm. put the link on, not the show notes because I never have time, but on Twitter at some point, I promise you guys. It's a fantastic memory of what the airport was before the revamp in 1990, so post war, uh, what it was before the war, actually. And it's really worth, if you like, to read about how we used to fly, actually. And, and Beirut used to be a, a stopover for many of the long-haul flights, actually, before we had these ultra-long-haul aircrafts. Yep. I'm just going to get one quote that will give you a little sense of the article. I have a total of 32,250 flying hours. I have served 100,000 bottles of champagne. I delivered a baby and have been hijacked twice. <laughs> Fantastic article, guys. I'm going to put the link. It's really popular.com. It was released in December. So Innsbruck is not Beirut. How Innsbruck is Innsbruck? Is Beirut. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not Beirut at all, but it is maybe the most beautiful airport that I've ever flown out of. No way. Yeah. Really? Oh, my God. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. The whole city Why? is stunning. Well, it's surrounded on all sides by mountains and beautiful mountains, the Alps. We were there on a beautiful sunny period, so we got to see it at its, at its best. And it's a very clean and simple airport. Check-in was very, very easy. But then you have a huge airside viewing gallery. Oh, huge, wow. absolutely huge. And it's got a cafe and there's tables outside and the planes are coming right up to you. And it's also where a lot of glider schools are and flight schools are. So there's constantly gliders landing on the grass next to you. So it's just a lovely little airport to go. And they they know their heritage as well. So there's there's a massive glass display case full of model airplanes. There's photos on the walls of bygone era aviation in, in the Innsbruck area. And it's like, I don't know, 10 minute drive from the city itself, which is always a bonus. So I, I fell in love with that airport. I fell in love with that city as well. That's a that's a wonderful. Really? City. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've actually never been. Is the airport better than Vienna? 
Because you landed, you landed in Vienna. Yeah, first, we landed right? at Vienna and then took the train down from Vienna to Innsbruck. I don't know if you could do a fair comparison because Vienna is a pretty robust international airport. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Innsbruck is 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 small, single runway. I think it's six and a half thousand feet runway. I don't think it's a fair compare. Vienna airport is fine. It's very easy to get around. I mean, my son and I, we flew in and we were in baggage claim in I don't know three minutes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's no problem at all. We flew on on BA. Who again? Same story. Disjointed, disinterested experience at T five as always. I uh, just, I mean, nothing. You know, I, we weren't spat at or anything. But um, and actually, we went to T three. My 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 son was introduced to the Cathay Lounge at T three, and we had to leave the house at about five a.m. So getting him out of bed was a struggle. But I said, "Pal, they've got dim sum, and it's pretty good dim sum." And he was up and ready to go, and I had the dim sum there. On the ground, BA was fine. It's just I'd I'd gone to the check-in desk because it was supposed to be all five of us traveling. My daughter and my younger son were ill in the night, so we decided that just my son and I were going. And I wanted to tell them and say, hey, uh, just, just us. It's just us. And they looked at my bag and they said, oh, yeah, no problem just to take that as hangout luggage. But of course, when we went to the gate, they're like, oh, you're going to have to absolutely check that in. Oh, and I said, is the flight full? She's like, no, but it's too big. And I was like, okay, oh, well, it is what it is. I'm not going to fight you. But as soon as we stepped on board the airplane, what a great experience. Uh, good. We were the first to board. We were in economy. And as soon as I, I didn't even sit down, and someone came from the back of the airplane, came marching up to me, beaming, absolute huge smile on their face going, Mr. Hunter, great to see you. Hands me the infant life jacket. This is for Juno, not your daughter, not the infant. By name. So taking oh, the time awesome. to learn the manifest and know that the infant's name is was going to be his Juno. And then all throughout the flight, ah, uh, this must be Luke. Hey, Luke, how are you? Where's your brother and your sister and your mom? And then I explained like, oh, nothing was too much. They said they got my son uh, one of the log books and had the pilot fill it out. They got him a sticker. Just exemplary on an hour, just under two hour flight. It was, again, BA Europe, so, so strong. So strong, really impressive. I'm happy to hear that. I also flew BA myself for a very short flight, just to Paris and same day, leaving in the morning and uh, coming back in uh, the evening. Now, why did you do that? Why did you do that and not take the Eurostar? <laughs> You're asking me that on purpose, right? I am asking you that on purpose because <laughs> even me being a plain person, I would avoid CDG for a day trip, but I'm sure there was a reason. Yeah, so first I could have gone to Orly in the south, but my meetings were in the north, so it just made more sense. But I mean, uh, the Eurostar has had so many issues, especially last month in March, the strikes, not strikes of Eurostar staff, but strikes of custom crew and staff, I think in France, they lost over the course of the month of March, 110,000 passengers. Whoa. And I was not I was not wanting to take the chance. I mean, for me, going to uh, St. Pancras, which is the station for the Eurostar here in London, is basically the same time than to go to Heathrow, but uh -huh. simply because... Oh, yeah, because no, no you're way. on the right side for, for Heathrow. Yeah, but I mean, no way, man. I've seen also pictures... When those strikes happen, and they happen repeatedly, mm. where people were queuing for more than six hours at the Gare du Nord, which is the stop in Paris. I'm like, you know what? I'm not taking my chances, actually. So that's why. And you know what? Same as you. 
the experience in the airport was okay. I mean, I went to the first um, wing. The queue, man, the queue in this first wing. I'm so glad they built the first wing, but it's really not made to handle big queues because the queue of the security, you know, was overflowing the dock check. So it was like just... (laughs) But And I asked, should I go to, you know, the fast track on the other side for non-first? She said, well, there's as many people because it was very early in the morning. Anyway, no big deal. Honestly, it was great that the crew were absolutely fantastic. The one thing that was out of the ordinary for me on that flight is my meetings and earlier than I thought because we were able to do everything in three hours instead of the five I had planned. So I went to, to Shell de Gaulle. I even had a coffee. I was, you know, I had like four hours in front of me or something. So I was like, I'm going to take my time even before going airside. And then I'm like, oh, well, you know what? The British Airways check-in counter is just downstairs. I might as well. It's in 2A, I think, or 2C. I might just as well just go. And yeah. and there's a, one guy in front of me. And I can overhear something like, oh, sir, we're sorry, but all the flights are full. And in my head, I'm like, okay, so why am I even queuing? So, and I'm about to leave. And the staff, the ground staff says, uh, are you looking to change your flight? I'm like, uh, yeah. When are you flying? And I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm flying supposedly at like 9.50 p.m. And it's like 5 p.m. or something, right? And she looks at me and says, uh, do you not have any luggage? I say, no. Can you run fast? Yeah. Okay, the flight is leaving in 18 minutes. I'm going to issue you a boarding pass. Leave now. So they wait. <laughs> So they put you on an earlier flight and didn't charge you... No, we didn't even talk about money. She literally told me, give me your boarding pass and my passport, which I had in my hands. And she was typing on the computer, telling me, can you run fast? And the fact that I didn't have any luggage obviously meant there's no luggage to put in the plane. What I understood is that they were looking for a room for the guy in front of me, and he was going to be Uh, put on that plane because he had some luggage to check in. So it just panned out. I was just so freaking lucky. The the funny bit is that she was on a computer, and I was waiting for her to deliver my boarding pass. And she was literally fighting with the gate because the staff at the gate was closing the flight. She was trying to reopen the flight and every time she was pressing whatever button I couldn't say to reopen, she would tell me, damn, the person closed the flight again. So <laughs> I was like, uh, so should I go? Should so I go? Were- and, and that's 18 minutes. He went to 17, 16 and I'm like, God, after two minutes, says, okay, I got it. I was faster than the other person. So I started running while she was calling the gate, went through, you know, I was really an ass because, you know, I passed by everyone at security, like saying, I'm sorry, I have a fly, I'm sorry, like everyone was looking at me. Of course, I was talking French maybe to help, but people will say, who's that entitled? Uh. <laughs> Even when I was running, because obviously the gate was not the first after security, I had to run all throughout the terminal. There was one lady there, and she looks at me, British Airways? I said, yes. And she says, run, really? And I'm like, I'm already running. How fast can I go? And, uh, you know, I entered a flight. They were waiting for me. Like, I was just sweaty and whatever. But it was fantastic. And never a single time was the word money uttered. They never asked me for anything. It was fantastic because I was home much earlier than I thought. It was just funny. Uh, I actually answered when she asked me, can I run? I said, yeah, call me airport bolt (laughs) (laughs) i the only reason why i ask about money is because i think on a previous episode i'd mentioned flying out of dublin and then they it was going to be a change fee on top of the fare difference and you know i think uh there was obviously they were going to benefit from this too and as another passenger would so that's that's great i i think in the u.s and you know u.s listeners can you chime in and tell us what the story is here but 
I think they'll just put you on the same day standby for nothing if there's space. Yeah, it happened to me as well with Swiss in Switzerland, actually, where they switched me flights because I was early at the airport without having to even talk about money. But this time I didn't even have to ask. Literally, she gave me a boarding pass and I ran. Maybe it was simply the circumstances. It was lucky they needed actually the room. You know, it was the day before Easter. That's why the flights were all full. People that maybe work in Paris were going either off holidays or simply to go back home. And this guy was literally at last trying. I don't think he even had booked the ticket. I think it was literally came to oh, the airport. Was, oh, I see. Yeah, or something like that. Because he, I, I I don't know why he would be at customer service trying to get a flight if he just had changed a flight. I don't know. Anyway, point is, I got into my flight and they were super cool. Or maybe it's Paris. You know, maybe BA in the UK would have made me issues. And then they're like, oh, whatever. You know, it, it was a fun experience. I, I never I never was as fast as, uh, you know, removing all my stuff for security and putting them back right, on. Right. I, I still had my belt it's in my hands. It's all muscle when I was... at this point. <laughs> the end of flights, like you, honestly, really great. The crew, uh, the staff of the return flight uh, saw me and understood I had been running. So it was even more engaging with me, offered me an extra glass of champagne, whatever. So, so it was really and, nice. And I have to, like, we flew in business class on the way home, all five of us from Innsbruck. Yeah. And they were so good. I would say half the, maybe two thirds of the business class cabin was families with young children because it was getting towards the end of the, the Easter Easter vacation. Yeah. And they were so good. And my wife even commented on the catering. It's like, this is really good. She said, I would pay for that. And she's not one to throw around um, false praise uh, or unearned praise. So that was the Doe & Co stuff. That whole short haul experience on BA, once they get Wi-Fi on there, I think yeah. it it's going to be the best in Europe by a country mile. I don't, uh, I, I don't, I think we've lost track of BA and Wi-Fi. I've had it on a couple of long haul flights, but I've heard, I don't know what the plan is for long I think Alex Cruz uh, mentioned, so the CEO of BA uh, mentioned that they were really going heavy with this. It's part of the whatever, six billion, whatever, investing for customer experience. Yeah. Because I agree, I agree, I agree with you. Sorry to interrupt. I agree with you. The food, the Doe & Co food, I was in business class on the way back. The Doe & Co food, I had a, the chicken with some sauce or whatever, Yeah, is the best. The coronation chicken salad. It's yeah. I know exactly the, what you're talking about. <laughs> it's the best food you can have in a short haul in Europe. Yeah. By far. That's I, it. I was, I've, I've been so impressed. So impressed. But yeah, Wi-Fi. But it'll come. It's just a matter of time now, I think. I think they're really serious about it for once, I hope. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be a, yeah, just a really, a really strong angle for them. Since we are on uh, BA in One World, one thing I said mistakenly and I was um, spotted by at OA Finder on Twitter. Aer Lingus is not part of One World. No, and this seems to be causing quite a lot of problems for One World status holders or anybody that's interested in collecting in collecting tier points because they are owned or at least partially by IAG now. Yeah, which is why it doesn't make sense, actually. It doesn't because you, you should be getting that, what is it called, an affiliate member. Yeah. Where you're not a full member, but by association you are. And I don't think it's been uh, applied universally or consistently so those of us with status on in one world and especially on ba we assume we get but we don't actually get the right uh not treatment as the right word you know what i mean you know yeah. priority boarding or anything like that or tier point collection or or anything which is strange because the acquisition happened like four years ago because you think it's iag it's the biggest component of one world you you think that it would be i think our friend away finder said it should have been a foregone conclusion yeah but it's not I keep reading reading reports on Flyer Talk about this and people going, I, sh- I was 
not given priority boarding and it was a very tense uh, interaction with the gate crew. And then somebody comes on and says, yeah, I know it's frustrating, but what you experienced is, is, is correct, unfortunately. Another thing that we probably won't see in the UK because of Brexit, <laughs> Lufthansa has just released a livery for one of its uh, 320. And it just says, yes to Europe. <laughs> Oh, that's such a... Uh... <laughs> that would be trolling if they were to fly that in the UK. I'm yeah. sure a lot of people would be unhappy. I hope they do, actually. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> anyway, Aer Lingus' new livery is pretty bad. We both agree on that. The new United has just been released. What do you think? I like it. Yeah, me too. Wow. I'm, I'm. Oh, wow. We haven't talked, guys, about it earlier, and I wasn't sure if Alex would like it. I like it too. I like it. I think it's great. And of course, everybody was like, oh, I'm so underwhelmed. It's like, well, they're not going to do like tie-dye and polka dots and, you know, they're, they're just not. <laughs> this was always going to be like a cafe. It was going to be an evolution. Munoz said, expect evolution, not revolution. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. that's exactly what they delivered. I mean, they always said that post-merger, delivery was temporary. And it was just a reflection of these two behemoths of, of American aviation or airline world coming together. And I think it's a very elegant, contemporary livery. And it's not ostentatious, it's what United has always been, which is on the sort of slightly more staid and boring side of corporate. And it's not a, it's not a bad thing. I, I think it's very, it's actually surprisingly fresh for United. That's good. I agree with that. It's, it's of course, a bit reminiscent of the livery they had developed for the Dreamliner with that uh, curve line, which was gold. So they ditched the gold. There's no more gold yeah, on the livery. I think it's a little bit of a shame, but that's... What it's... Uh, I like it. You know what What I especially like in the new livery is so there's no more gold on the tail. The globe is a bit simplified, but still remains strong. They didn't touch it, like we said when we were talking about this announcement, so we were very happy. The fact that there's this line on the side means that there's less gray on the belly, so under the aircraft, which I also appreciate. And I really like the fact that they painted the engines in blue. That stands out. I, I think, you know, a lot of people use the word Euro white because, yeah, it's very white and, you know, they just expanded the term United is bigger and now it overlaps the, the windows. But it's more modern. I like it. I do too. I, I think it's very easy to, to pull these things apart. But when you're satisfying so many stakeholders and you're considering the, the legacy of a now dead but storied aviation and airline brand, I think it's good. I, I think there's not too much to pull apart here. And Which I really is like freaking uh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like the fact that they didn't go for all the colors that they had announced because they use a, I'm going to use their term. I mean, we, we know we mock them a little bit for that. So they use their Rhapsody Blue, United Blue, Runway Gray, and Sky Blue, but they didn't use the three others, which was the Pacific Blue, the Premium Purple, which a lot of people were expecting to see, and the, I think it was the Atlantic Amethyst or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, because that would have been so many colors. They simplified they, the thing. And yeah, I'm like, they did. They used those colors in, in other places, didn't they? Like the there's a lot of that purple inside the cabin. What did I, maybe, a, oh, of course, it was on Johnny on the design air, was talking about the internal palette as well. And again, it looks good. It looks good. Yeah, Kudos I, to them. I'm very sure that I won't experience it when I fly on them in a couple of months, three months, but I think it's great. And congratulations to them for not effing it up. <laughs> yeah. I've asked the, the question on Twitter and uh, most of our listeners that uh, took the time to answer, agreed. Uh, the first one was uh, Mark Ruggiero at Colorado Mark, 
who said I'm actually a fan. I think, yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of some people say it's too Euro white, but I mean, Euro white is not always a bad thing. You know, yeah. it works we best on it Swiss, really it works really well. Really. Yeah, yeah, whereas it works. I mean, the level for me doesn't work, but something like uh, Swiss, again, for instance, works really well, and it's fine. I think they made a good thing. I wasn't sure about the... <laughs> Have you seen the, the teaser video they released for this? At the very end, there's this thing. It says united.brand.new. That was a little bit off. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Mathieu, again, Mathieu Guinadelux says it looks like the title at the end was made with Publisher. <laughs> publisher, and, man, that's a, a name I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> Same when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> welcome to the 1990s. The other thing that they've done, I think a week ago, that was very surprising because I was not expecting that they're releasing a Star Wars plane. They are? Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh my God, you've not, oh, you were in holidays, of course. The single aircrafts, it's not like ANA stuff when they have like multiple aircrafts, and I don't think there will be a lot of branded stuff within, though we don't know yet. They're releasing a 1737-8, not the Max, obviously. <laughs> At least I don't think so. All black. And on one side, you'll have Kylo Ren. On the other side, you'll have... Um, it obviously eludes me when I'm uh, saying that. Uh, basically, one side is Ray. blue... Uh, Ray, thank you so That's much. driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> One side is a blue lightsaber, and the other side is the red lightsaber, the winglets. On one side, it's blue, and the other side is red. And it's striking. It's really striking. The whole plane is black. United is written in white. And the tail is black with a lightsaber on it. It looks honestly really cool. I, I wasn't expecting that at all, that they would go tie-in like that. It's really super cool. That is cool. Because I, I honestly thought that ANA had the global rights to it. Or maybe it expires. I don't know. It's only going to be domestic, so there's not going oh, to maybe be any that's it, Yeah, maybe that's why. And apparently it's going to be released around the time of the release of the movie, which I think is early December or something. And they don't say for how long, but it's really cool. And again, I have no insight if they will do anything within the aircraft, as ANA did at least at the start. I think now they've toned this down. But man, it looks cool. Look at the picture, guys. It's, it's, even if you're not a Star Wars fan... It looks striking. There's a bit of, um, you know, Air New Zealand in the black thing. It really looks great. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Still on United, uh, at Joe Allen, also one of our listeners. He does also a great vlog on, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, he's a great, great photographer. A great photographer, exactly. <laughs> he was mocking what I was saying, United.brand.new was uh, mocking this uh, as a bit of unfinished, saying that it's maybe a representation of their customer service. Well, on customer service... The CEO, Oscar Munoz, was very frank the other day yeah, about United. He, wow. I think he was about about passenger experience in general yes. and saying that United were the kind of the exemplar of this. Um, and as you say, there's this wonderful quote. It was on one of the big U.S. TV networks. Yeah, C I think I read that on ABC. Yeah, ABC. Like they had an exclusive interview with him. And he said... I love this quote that you sent me, actually. By the time you sit on one of our aircraft, you're pissed at the world. I don't care what coffee, what cookie, or what smile I give you. And he's kind of right. No, not, he's not even kind of right. He is right. No, he's absolutely right. I was very. I don't know if it's the Munoz post uh, heart attack who became suddenly more human. Not that he was not, by the way. It's uh, I'm mocking here, obviously. I even even added uh, in the interview, he said, "I think discourse between human beings is lacking." I always tell our team, someone trusted us and said, "You would get me from here to here." That's what they bought, and anything that's short of that has to be our issue. In terms of customer service, it's a great delivery. It is, and I think. I have a feeling, and we are all, I mean, me especially, 
are really harsh on United because they've had some major yeah. F-ups in the last five or seven years. I get this feeling that this is what he's been trying to do since yep. he, he took office and then obviously he was he was incapacitated for months. But I think it feels like he he's been trying and you know, we've heard and and they're not anecdotal reports, they seem to be consistent now that mm-hmm. they're they're finally turning the corner and, and perhaps this was the right time for him to come out and say that. Because if he'd come out and said this three or four years ago, we would have said, You how are you saying this? <laughs> How are you saying this? This is the definition of hypocrisy. But now I think there's a lot of people saying, yeah, I, I think that they've – a lot of the united purists, you know, the, the, the Church of United, <laughs> I, I think that they've been united flyers for a long, long time. Yeah. And remember how it used to be. And I, I, I gather that it was a very, very good airline, especially in the 80s and 90s. So perhaps they're going back to this. I, again, I'm going to try. I'm even considering using them to come back from Boston because JetBlue <laughs> just won't lower their damn prices. <laughs> Greg, if you're listening to this, lower your damn prices. <laughs> you know what? Not even like three months ago, I would have mocked that, like you say. And now I not only want, but I tend to believe that they are actually changing. And it's... It's quite striking to being able to change the image of a company. Okay, if it's maybe just me, but you seem also to have changed stance as well. We're not the holders of any truth here, but it's... Uh... By the way, you also added, I think we are nearing the point, certainly, that we cannot do that anymore, quoting the legroom yeah. uh, lowing. So they, he also recognizes that we've reached the end of diminishing legroom. You cannot do human One beings and human beings. One yeah, no, but no, it's refreshing. Let's, let's see if they actually follow suit, but it's refreshing. One of the reasons people sometimes criticize United is, uh, like you said, because they're fans and so they're not happy about changes. One of the changes that United, and it was expected as uh, done, sorry, as announced, because it will be done by November, is changing their frequent flyer program, how the seats are awarded, etc., to be more dynamic. And it's one of the things, actually, Munoz talked a lot. He said for a long time, they're Back end, all their legacy software wasn't able to do a lot of stuff, and he pushed for the IT to be better, to be more dynamic, and that's one of the results. And of course, a lot of the frequent flyers, especially all the AV geeks, and I know I'm not going to make friends here, and some of our listeners are like, oh, up in arms, it's becoming more difficult for us. Guys, I'm sorry, but programs were not created for frequent flyers to game the system. These programs were loyalty systems, especially catered towards corporates, but not to game the system. And it's kind of logical that if you pay more, well, you'll have better chance to have, you know, award seats that it's, it's just, just a numbers game. I think sometimes frequent flyers, and again, I'm sorry, guys, some of you might actually send me angry emails. We're not entitled to anything. It's great yeah. to have points, but you know, if you paid for it, and if you're like uh, Apple, we we said that a few episodes ago that paid so much United. Well, obviously they will actually make a system that is better for an Apple than an average Joe is trying to play with credit cards. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think your loyalty is rewarded by what they explicitly tell you they're going to reward you with, and that may be priority boarding, it may be lounge access, but anything beyond that upgrades and all that i think is a is a is a perk i I, i've always been confounded and wanted to try and understand how the u.s major systems work you know because we don't whenever you check in or or at the gate you see this list on the screens of 
of awaiting upgrades. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that in any other airline outside of the U.S. It's True. actually one of the reasons why I thought about switching my BA status to American mm -hmm. just to see how that works. But I don't understand how it works. From what I understand from what, from what Muno said, I think it sounds like a logical approach to this because they are... They are how those three airlines compete, the, the U.S. majors, is the, yeah. is the strength of the loyalty program. Not that anyone who's 1K or what are they called, elite or whatever, you know, global services, like they're ever going to jump ship. Of course they're not. Of, no, of course, course they're not. they're not. Actually, another piece of news about booking that is interesting is that United is ready to cut ties with Expedia. So it's an OTA, guys, if you don't know. I guess you know if you're listening to us. <laughs> That's end of September. The contract is up for renewal. And some of the numbers are pretty striking, actually. Expedia reportedly sells almost 9 million domestic tickets per year for United. That's quite a lot, actually, right? That is. That's, that, that's almost $3 billion worth of tickets. Expedia makes, I think, around $10 of revenue per booking. And when you think about it, when Lufthansa announced a few years ago that they would not cut ties, but they would say, okay, if you book with us directly, that's what I do, Lufthansa.com or Swiss.com, all the entire group, you will not have an extra fee. Whereas if you go through any OTA, you'll have an extra fee, I think it's 14 euros. Well, a lot of people were, you know, like, are you sure you're doing this? And I've looked up the number in December, so just uh, three months ago, Lufthansa Group sold 52% of its ticket directly. It works. Huh. It's working. Yeah. That's so, interesting. I'm not sure United is doing a bad thing, and nothing against Expedia, but I think it's a trend that we will see of airlines, at least the major ones, trying to they've, regroup. They've wanted to do sense. that for years because the economics didn't stack. Have you seen hotels doing it as well? I mean, you know, you can now find better prices on direct than you can yeah. on places like Booking.com. That was never the case. Absolutely. Another thing that United is trying to see, I mean, we're talking a lot about United. It's not because I've seen the Avengers and they are United. It's just because we, we <laughs> kind of start liking United. Another thing that United is trialing is express dining service for their Polaris business clients uh, on the late evening transatlantic departures. I think they will first try all that from Dulles, D.C., to see if it works because they say, okay, the flights are not that long. And we complain right. sometimes about that, you know, because you already lose like two hours to have the service and et cetera. So they're really looking into finding ways to make the customer experience actually better. Of course, that one is for business class, but it makes sense to me that they would do that. And again, apparently all this stems from using a better back end that allows them to do a lot of more, you know, forecasting of okay, maybe how many people would try, would want uh, express dining versus... Good I for them. I, I know that BA builds their whole New York, yeah. JFK, I should say, experience yeah. on that, especially for premium passengers. They have reasonably good food options on the ground there, so you don't have to... And of course, JFK to Lucy, it's, you know, super fast and then you're asleep, so it makes total sense. Yet another thing, I know I'm, you know, usually we used to do episodes where the only thing we would talk about when we were talking about United is mocking them, and here we are seeing their praises. Another thing they're also introducing in the US, which I find pretty interesting, is because I get a of that back end, I'm sorry to insist on this one, they will now hold planes. So let's say, Alex, you are doing a layover, which is a pretty short layover, 
And they know you're coming. And that's hence where the system now is smart enough. They know you're coming, but maybe your plane was slightly delayed and you're just a few minutes. But they know that the route you're about to embark, let's say, is planned for an hour and a half. But they know they can make it in an hour and 20 minutes. They will wait five minutes, for instance. The software will tell them, let's wait for Alex or a group of people, even if we have to delay the departures by five. I think they won't go over 10 minutes, but that's smart. That is smart. That's really smart. And I think it shows that they're thinking of these things at a, at a strategic level and not at a, as he said, another chocolate chip cookie or another brand of coffee is, is not going to appease somebody who missed their flight and has to wait six hours or even 24. Yeah. Oh, good for them. Smart. Yeah. I always wonder, by the way, maybe you know, or maybe one of the listeners know, it's really always striking to me how in the US, flight departure times are so like random, like the flight departs at 617 yeah. or are 542, whereas in, you know, in Europe is usually like rounded, like at 610. My And this is total conjecture on my part. I think that here we get a public-facing time, and what they're doing in the U.S. is just showing the scheduled block time. Oh, maybe you're right. So it's that like 1623 is your ATC block time, whereas here they would just go at 25 or 20, probably. They would go down somewhere at the gate. That's my guess. If anybody is in dispatch, please... Tell us. Yep. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know. Uh, and one thing, that's one thing we'll come back later in the show today. <laughs> They're also cracking down on some of their employees because uh, employees have, you know, special passes. I don't know exactly the system. You know, some airlines give extra passes. You can, you know, invite a friend, for instance, a flight or get like very low cost flights for international flights. And some of the United employees were actually reselling them and making money. Oh, that's not cool. But it's another sign that United is, I think they're onto something. Yeah, they are, they are onto something. I think that it's strange to me. And again, like I said, I feel like they perhaps have been working on this for a long time. Polaris was not as much of a hit as I think they were hoping it would be. But there's a lot coming out right now, yeah. obviously, as this episode is testament to. So there's yeah. there, maybe all of this is coming to a head and it's been four or five years in yeah. the making. Well, And again, good for them. And Polaris, the business lounges, so club, United Club, they're good. They're really solid. The one in Ether is one of my favorite lounges in Ether. Yeah, it is a good lounge. It is a good it, lounge. It is, I think um, I, I remember reading somewhere when I was looking at my flight from San Francisco to Boston that I don't get to try the ultra one. But I get, okay. I think they still have just as... Oh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know in whatever it is. Four months. Three and a half months. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you just mentioned... I'm interested. You just mentioned that you were thinking or maybe still are thinking about, you know, moving your status from BA to AA. And you told me that there's a status challenge that AA offers. Have you looked into it? I, I, I was very surprised. I was How does it work in a few words? Well, there, I think all three of the majors do this where... You pay a fee, and it's not a small fee. It depends on what st what tier you're trying to get to. You call them up and you give them a little information, and then you have 90 days to hit certain mileage targets. It doesn't matter if they're if they're already booked. So, for in my case, I've got several segments on American coming up. So I could call them up and say, "I'd like to get the platinum status match." I think it's like 500 bucks, and they say, "Okay, well, you need to do this much in elite qualifying miles." Okay, and you'll get it. And then, of course, through that, after that, you then have to, to hit the targets from there on in. I gather that they were there, and then they went away for a while, and then they came back, and now they've made them much more achievable. So I think I'm going to give it a whirl, so I will, I will let you guys know how it goes. Well, I want those freaking upgrades, because I do travel reasonably <laughs> frequently domestically in the U.S., 
And I want to see what it's like to have that because you do not get upgraded as a one world. What are we? Sapphire? Emerald? Whatever the top is. Emerald, Emerald. I think. Yeah. You don't, you're on the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the list. There's no, yeah, there, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the case actually for all the all the alliances. Yeah, fair enough. I fly United and I'm, you know, whatever is the equivalent in United because I'm, you know, senator at Lufthansa because that's my main program. And same, I will never see my name on the list of potential upgrades, you know, on the screens above the gate. And I don't fly as much as you, so I don't have as much experience. I mean, with the never. US. But I've never seen my name. Whereas if I had probably put all my miles at United, even living here in the UK... I probably would have a shot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to try it. It doesn't mean I lose my BA status and I can experiment and see what happens. Since we're in New York with EWR, but let's GFK this time, you also showed me something pretty cool, the Blade Helicopters. Holy cow. Yeah, Ed Parsons was the one that... Uh, okay. That he, I think he posted on Instagram. So Blade are an on-demand helicopter company that that you can charter helicopters from them to various parts of the Northeast and Southeast of the United States. But they also offer this service, which is JFK to the Manhattan helicopter port, which is on the Hudson. Hudson. Yeah. Right on, literally on on the Hudson. It's very reasonable. I think it's 175 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Something like that, which when I think about how much I pay with an Uber, I mean, it's still more expensive, but you cut through traffic and if you are, yeah, and if you are on the lower On the Van Wick. Yeah, 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 exactly. When I work in... In New York, I usually I'm in a financial district in near Wall Street, okay, so it's yeah. it's it's pretty damn good, and I love staying as well near the meatpacking district. So I'm not saying it's cheap, but I mean I would have never expected to being able to be in a helicopter for that price. No, so I might actually try that, even if just to post a picture on Instagram. But I, just I don't want to know. Try I think that. Ed, can you let us know how it was and if it was as easy as it seemed? And another reason to go to GFK is obviously the TWA Hotel, which looks amazing. And what they've just released is even more amazing. We all love the smell of jet fuel in the morning. Move over, Marina Bay Sands, as I said on Twitter. They are delivering an actual rooftop on the hotel, which has an infinity edge pool, which overlooks one of the runways in the apron. I mean, holy... (laughs) I mean, for AV geeks, freaking amazing. And it's also a 365 days a year pool because it will be heated during the wintertime. And they also say, is it because of that jet fuel I just mentioned, the filtration of that swimming pool will be every 30 minutes, whereas a normal swimming pool, I think, is every like four to six hours or something. Is it because of the jet fuel? I have no idea. But I mean... It's a dream for... I can't like wait. I mean, and it, I mean, and they're smart because they know it's a transit hotel. No one's going to stay out there if they got business in Manhattan because it's just yeah. balling to get into Manhattan. But I cannot wait. to. I think it's next month that it opens, you say? 15th of May. So, yeah. yeah uh, and we're recording, by the way, today, the 25th of April, 2019. And it's uh, 1.51 p.m. And uh, Rami Malek was just announced as the baddie in James Bond. I'm so happy. Yeah, he's a good dude. <laughs> 
<laughs> live guys i mean obviously i don't know when i'm going to be able to put that one but probably before the weekend so yeah then that swimming pool will face i think runway 4l 22r but i mean it's awesome i would I'll, spend I'll, all day in there i would spend all day in there and come out looking like the, the lounge as well on the ground floor it looks i mean just look guys for twa hotel the website is ready you can see like pictures from inside i think the swimming pool is still a rendering but at least the pictures from inside are, are there and it even simply the lounge it really kept the essence of what the building was it's so cool really so cool yeah it really is <laughs> which certainly makes me want to make a layover in jfk which i would have never have done before. no no yeah no one's ever said that <laughs> oh yeah there was a jet blue i think they also have a rooftop lounge when they wanted to like i think plant potatoes or something that like a garden or something yeah, did they ever end up doing that? i don't know but guys tell us but that's another i've never flown jet blue but if they start flying to london as we said in the previous episode yeah i'll definitely try eating a potato uh from <laughs> maybe not as cool as a swing pole but anyway still a bit in the u.s so guys we're going to move off the u.s in a bit but i mean we know that we have sometimes u.s listeners tell us we talk too much about the uk so there you go an old story we're about soon enough to reach our episode 100 i hope we're going to make a little bit surprise for that one but an old story that was our saga for the first 30 episodes surely was the me3 uh, against the the big three in the us oh, the big three went again against qatar was via air italy they said that the air italy investment 49 percent owned by qatar was is illegal and the way out of the la 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 what is very interesting is the reaction from JetBlue, from fedex from atlas air which is also cargo who are saying that banning Qatar Airways or Air Italy could lead to retaliation against U.S. carrier and actually has no grounds, that the Open Skies Agreement is great and they should stop bickering and let Qatar and Air Italy fly. We had that uh, divide in the past, but that letter that they sent to Congress or whatever is really, uh, uh, yeah, DOT, thank you, is really strongly worded. So the, the divide is big. JetBlue have a strategic relationship with Emirates. They are, I think, JV in some parts, certainly co-chair and others. So I, I can see why they would do that. But American are alliance partners with Qatar Airways. I, it just, stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's boring. Yeah, it's becoming old. I mean, guys, we started this thing five years ago. I mean, of course, it's, you know, usual bickering when you do these kind of stuff. But I mean, ah, anyway, the one thing I will just say to these airlines, and, and this one I'm going to point my finger at Delta. Well, if the problem is that Qatar owns 49% of Air Italy and then Italy flies to the US, what about Delta owning 49% of Virgin, Virgin and Virgin flying to Dubai? Because then it's an extension from the US. It's a way for Delta to fly to Dubai without actually doing it. It's the same freaking scenario. It's kind of do as I say, not as I do. As always. I think you actually used that sentence so many times when we were talking about Did I? Yeah, that doesn't topic. surprise me. I do talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, but we love listening to you, man. Uh, <laughs> And if you like to read Alex, not only hear him talk either on Attaché or here, you are about to publish a newsletter for Attaché. So sign up, guys. It's on your Twitter at KeepTheWeller and also AttacheTravel.net. I think that's Dot what net, yeah, we're going to be covering the things that we discover on our travels, not anything kind of dull. It's super cool. I mean, I, I meant it's on my to-do list to make a newsletter for layovers, but guys, if too much work, one day I'll be inspired by the success of Alex. I sure another. So, <laughs> so uh, since we're just talking about Qatar, let's stay there a little bit. 
I'm not sure about this. Qatar Airways is launching a new line of reusable amenity kits for first and business class passengers. Aren't How does that work? Pretty much all reusable. You can still keep the pouch and reuse it. Yeah, everybody unless, does that. <laughs> I mean, unless it's sometimes ANA or BA, there's a little bag, which is, makes no sense. I'm talking here business class. But most of them, you can. Re- I, I don't know how is that news. I mean, maybe guys who fly Qatar a lot, tell me what's the new thing that could be absolutely reusable. I have no idea. What a weird thing to claim. They say that the men's kit can be reused as a wash bag. Yeah, again, everything can be reused. Um, I don't know. It actually makes me think because you know, I was as you guys know, I was Marie Kondoing my office, and I found all stuff, a lot of stuff about, of course, you know, boarding passes and. Amenity tickets. And there was this amenity ticket that I found from Asiana, which dates back from the time I flew Asiana in first class from Seoul to JFK to New York, the super long flight. And even had left it in the plastic, you know, the, the wrapping. And I was like, oh, what it is? And I thought I had opened it. But then I realized, actually, they had given me two things. One was the actual amenity kit. And this thing, I opened it. It looks like an amenity kit, but actually is a backpack. You can unfold it, it becomes a backpack. So I guess the idea was, well, if you have extra stuff, you can actually use that to fly and then put it back as a very small format. It's a nice gift, actually. That's a great idea. That's reusable, actually. But anyway, Qatar Airways, guys, if you listen to us, I know we have even pilots from Qatar Airways listening to us. Tell us what is this new amenity kit that is supposedly reusable that is something fantastic that others <laughs> have don't. Maybe it has the infinity stones uh, and go. can do something. Um, I, I had a question, actually, since I just mentioned first, about my first-class experience in uh, BA. Yeah. Somebody asked me about the headphones because they have new ones. So, very strangely, on the newer... Dreamliner, I had old headphones that were actually in the overhead bin and just in a plastic wrapping, but on the way back in the 777, I had a very nice case, all black, says PA first. They're made by a company I didn't know about called Meridian, Meridian Audio, and they are pretty cool, actually. Are they the best that I've ever seen? No, but they are very cool. So there you go, guys. If you if you like your headphones, because now I don't carry any more big headphones. I only carry in-ear ones. So I always try to test if the big headphones are good. I always like the ones, for instance, at Emirates, but this one is good. What else? What else? What else? Have you seen this new Airbus seat couch for business? No. It looks like, huh? It looks like there's three seats from economy that were put together, but in an arc way, so like a little circle. And you have one area where you sit, and then you can expand your feet and make it as a couch. I don't think the seat itself looks that's impressive. The one thing apparently it does is that it reduces the footprint of a business seat and Airbus is trying to sell it to airlines. I don't know if that's going to ever exist. But oh, because uh, they just had the big uh, aircraft interior conference. Was it in Hamburg? That's when they started doing all of these announcements. No, I missed that one. It's called the City Corner, I think. They have, of course, mock-ups, but maybe they're waiting for interest before they start actually uh, manufacturing those. Right. But only issue for me, the line is only 185 centimeters long. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Ugh, guys. No dice. Airbus, you're made by Germans. Germans are tall. Think about yourselves and thus me. Um, now, the most interesting piece of feedback, very fascinating. We're going now to Asia. 
you remember you found that airline called Starlux yeah. in Taiwan, in Taiwan. right? Sansu33 on Instagram sent us this just right after recorded. Didn't have time to mention in the last episode. The founder of Starlux, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce his name, Kuo Wei Chang, is actually the former chairman of Eva Air. He's a certified ah. 777 pilot as well. But he was ousted by other family members when the father, the actual founder of Evair, passed away. So when the father passed away, there was infight between the kids, basically. And he was the chairman of Evair, but it was ousted. And because he was probably pissed off, he decided to create his own airline to fight against Eva Air. So when you were asking, you know, usually we know these because they yeah, have like yeah, funding. No, it, yeah, there's a lot of funding. These, these guys are billionaires. So probably it's very interesting. That, I can't, I'm very excited for this. You can read the story. Uh, it's, I think even on Wikipedia, I can find some stuff about this whole infighting. It's, of course, you know, rich people <laughs> problems. It's almost like the Murdoch family, you know, which kid is going to inherit oh, the... Uh, so... <laughs> There's actually a show on HBO really cool about that. What's the name? Succession, I think. It's really fantastic if you guys like this kind of stuff. Really, really cool. Anyway, Taiwan has very specific rules. If an airline wants to fly internationally, the company has to have had engaged with international trade or transport for at least five years. Five years. You can understand why it took so long from the announcement of Starlux and they're not flying yet, but apparently you had enough weight to actually alter that rule for Starlux. So they will allow it even though they haven't flown or engaged in trade wow. for five years. So yeah, for reference, China Airlines, which is a official, if you want, national carrier, dates back from 1959. And Eva Air from 1989 is not such a old I airline, remember actually. when they started. Oh, wow. Dude. Yeah, because um, when they first started flying to Hong Kong, we were living there. My father was working at the airport, and I certainly remember that. Still in Asia, um, just um, to uh, think about some friends. First, uh, friends in the Philippines they had a big earthquake the other day for us aviation geeks. Clark Airport was actually closed, and the damage was pretty, pretty big, actually. Yeah, <laughs> there the was pictures. Some, it was uh, yeah. the only pictures I saw. Yeah, I saw some pictures of that and the incredible footage of a rooftop swimming pool oh on a high-rise spilling its, uh, its water over the edge. Insane. That building is quite central in Manila, near to Malate, I think. It's insane. Guys, just look it up. Spilling, building, Manila, earthquake. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> oh Completely God. insane. And the other, which is uh, not fun at all, is obviously the, the recent bombings in uh, Sri Lanka. Yeah, We're thinking about, you know, I think more than 200 people passed away, which is crazy. Well, over 300, they, yeah, 360. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, I haven't followed. I wasn't on the news. Oh, dear. Uh, and they actually had found a bomb that didn't explode in the airport. Jeez. Yeah. It's, it's a country that is on my list as well to visit, and not for the reason I mentioned, I think, a few episodes ago, that it's a great deal to fly Emirates first class and you first class from <laughs> Colombo. But because all my friends who've been there keep telling me it's a great country it is, to it's visit. It's a wonderful country. Yeah. So, uh, very close to that, India, Jet Airways, is done. They are done. Yeah, I think we were talking about this imminent demise on our last episode, but yep, they are done. They canceled all their departures, and that's it. They're done. That's it. It's over. I mean, it's over, but you remember I said very in passing, I think again in the past episode, that Etihad was back in the game, and I was like, what's going on? Etihad is now putting a bid on buy the entire airline. Now that it's gone, it's bankrupt, maybe you know, buying only the assets and not the debt. 
and actually buying the airline. Well, somebody's going to have to do something because that means you have one international carrier in Air India. And we talked about this offline that that can't be. That can't be for the second most populous nation on earth. They have to have other providers of air transport outside of the country. So whether it's going to be someone like Indigo who are good and well-run and profitable and and very big or SpiceJet or even Singapore Airlines. uh, Vistara. uh, Yeah, Tata. Yeah, Vistara, who are small and relatively young. Maybe this is an opportunity for them to go big or go home. But the Etihad acquisition, I suppose, makes just as much sense. It's interesting how they went from in the game, outside of the game, and they're trying to go back in. Again, it's a feeder for them, but the movements are very interesting because there's a land grab. Emirates and SpiceJet, as you just mentioned them, are seeking approval for a co-chair agreement. So Emirates mm. is like, oh, the field is open. Let's go in. So that would be very interesting to have SpiceJet as part. They're not going to buy SpiceJet, but it will be co-chairs, right. maybe Miles Agreement status and everything. So it will be very interesting to see what happens. And the other thing that is very interesting is that the government realized that they have this very old rule. If any other airline within India wants to reacquire one of its aircrafts, if that aircraft belongs to a lesser, which most of the aircraft right. of Jet Airways were, the aircraft has to fly where the lesser is located and then back to India, which makes no sense, but that was probably a protectionist rule. They are removing that rule. SpyJet is going to take on, I think, 20 aircrafts from Jet Airways, and others are interested as well. I think Air India is considering some of the white bodies, I think the 330. So there's an actual land grab and also aircraft grab. I hope they don't pull it apart like wolves on an injured animal and that actually something comes from it other than other airlines expanding their fleets because they had 115 airplanes when they when they stopped and there was, you know, 10 777 300 ERs. So those, uh, those will be... Very, very popular. I think Air India is looking into, I think, five of the 777s. And then, yeah, like you said, nine 330s, and then a whole heap of 737s. Actually, I read something very... It was a month ago, but since we're talking about that, because the government is afraid that suddenly prices will shut up. And they are, actually. They are, actually, because there's one big airline disappearing. The other impact, and I never thought about this, when the 737 MAX was grounded... The average fares in India on the 14 main routes jumped more than 65% overnight. <sighs> Come on. They have a capacity issue. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's they do. crazy. Which it, it is crazy because you see how many airlines there are operating in India now. And you would hope that there would be enough capacity. And they're, all of the flights that I flew on, I haven't done intra-India yet. I really should. I have. Uh, <laughs> my, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I bet it is. And I bet and I bet they're heaving as well. And you've got a breadth of, of service as well. You've got, all, you know, I don't know if they have ultra low cost, but they certainly have low cost in Indigo, which is a model that works all the way up to full service in Vistara and Air India. They're very good. Yeah, yeah. And they seem to be very popular. And Air India cannot make repayments on its debt. They are missing hold your chair, $1.3 billion for repayments due, I think, any day now. So the government is basically saying, okay, we saved you by, you know, creating, I think, a special vehicle to kind of shed some of the debt off, but we're not going to intervene this time. So the market is up for grabs. And I think low cost will, I mean, Indigo has ordered like 
tons of planes, but I think there will be, like, you're, you're absolutely right. I think there will be another player or two coming into the game at some point, or maybe Vistara expanding. Or yeah, I would be very team. interesting to see uh, to see what Vistara does, because they're backed by two very, very established and huge conglomerates in Singapore Airlines and, and Tata. And they have great reviews. Yeah, I, I'd like to try them. And in fact, yeah. we almost did once, but uh, we'll see. I think that, you know, in terms of size, Indigo... They've got 220 airplanes and with another 400 in order. So they're they're ambitious. They're all narrow bodies. So they've got no ambitions to go any further yet. But who knows? Yeah. This this has thrown everything up in the air. And back home for us in the UK, very interesting thing. Jet Airways had sold three of its slots to Etihad because he needed the money. But also that was part of the uh, Etihad Invest in Jet Airways. So Jet Airways suddenly disappears these slots are not used and slots at Heathrow are extremely in demand. And I was thinking what's going to happen and immediately, well, I think the flights will be on sale next week. Etihad is expanding their service from London to Abu Dhabi. We'll have three more flights with Etihad, three more chances to fly with them. Which is great because it opens up so much of Asia for us then because having more opportunity to get to Abu Dhabi and then connecting on is just with a great airline is just is fantastic. And since you were telling us that you saw Abu Dhabi Airport, the main field terminal, and you said it's ready, I've looked into it because I was interested. They've started testing within it. So they still haven't announced a date, but they're still saying Q4 2019. But they're testing the baggage handling system, the operational readiness of the terminal. So you're right. It must be very close to be ready since it's testing it. Yeah, that's good. And God bless them for testing it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, sometimes people who fly first can be very cheap. Emirates, when you fly first and you've done it, you have this very small almost bar at the front of the upper deck of the 380. Yeah, next to the waterfall. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> and you have very expensive, you know, cognac and whiskeys on display. Well, Emirates is removing them because people would steal bottles. That's such a ridiculous... That's, yeah. Really? Who does? You fly in first class and you steal a bottle? Yeah, that's just trash. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness sakes. Well, the good thing is they're going to up their game if it's even possible with champagne. They're going to go with... The vintage 2008 for Don Perignon instead of a 2009, and having tried both, the 2008 is actually better. And they will do something that I know Brits enjoy. They enjoy their rosé champagne. I was talking to Moet Tennessee one day, and I think the biggest export market for rosé champagne is the UK. <laughs> Emirates will start actually serving rosé as well. I have a choice, whereas it was very limited before. Qatar is famous for having both, but Emirates will start doing that. So see, I, I cannot miss an episode in talking about champagne for some reason. I'm really so sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also Emirates, there was a very fascinating article on Skift about its IFE, where the, the head of IFE, I don't know his name, uh, said that they have now 6,000 hours of content in the latest generation of their ICE, that's the name of the year. 6,000 wow, hours. It's this such a ab- good IFE. But two things that were interesting. First, there was the um, 
the breakdown of what actually people are watching. And of course, you know, big Hollywood titles are always ahead network-wide, so they actually monitor the data of what's actually being watched. It's fascinating. Uh, they say like uh, blockbusters like Mission Impossible, Black Panther, Deadpool 2 currently are ahead. But they say the other high performers are Indian movies and not just Bollywood. I can believe that. I can actually. believe it. And binging. People do binge on TV because now they offer full seasons of TV shows and they say people love it. Oh, yeah. They actually are using that a I lot. do that on Ember. I love... <laughs> it is a frustrating experience when you get on and they have a show but it's like one or two episodes oh my God, and i and i get it because the right this is another thing yeah. that that attache has taught me is the economics of this and i was peripherally involved at virgin america but that was 10 years ago so everything has changed but attache is now being licensed to be on ife's systems yep. and a few airlines now and understanding the rights and the cost and the numbers and all of that. I, I understand why they do that. But being able to binge a season of Mad Men for me is freaking great. And Emirates, <laughs> they have that. And yeah. and so does so does Etihad. I don't I don't know about Qatar, but I'm sure they do. And the other thing that is fascinating that duh is like an evidence, but you have these ads that always keep on no matter which movie or TV show you want, you have yeah. an ad and so usually it's like Dubai parks, you know, all these new uh, attraction parks or Bulgari or Atlantis Hotel. The revenue they're making out of those is absolutely insane because they say brands love us. They know we have captive, captive business and first passengers. We have their names. We have their profile. We know exactly who they are and we display this and they're making a ton of money out of yeah. this. I'm wondering because <clears throat> I'll admit I haven't flown economy in, in Emirates for three years are these ads the same? I'm not sure they show Bulgari in... They're the Army. same. Are they the same? Yeah, okay. they're the same. Okay, interesting. For better or worse. <laughs> Absolutely. Another airline that's really fascinating things about the uh, IFE is Qantas. They're specifically talking about their Perth to London which is fabulously successful. Everybody was uh, criticizing that they're never going to work. I think they have like 96% load factor. Like it's super high. All the planes are full, basically. So Alex, uh, if you ever fly them, maybe you choose seat 56F. 56F is the seat on the plane that spent more time watching in-flight entertainment than any other seat in the plane. (laughs) Really? Passengers who have sat in 56F have, together, spent almost 10,000 hours watching TV shows and movies. <laughs> like, for some reason, that seat is... I love that they know by seat exactly. Uh, the analytics said, is just generally must be so interesting. Mission Impossible Fallout is the most watched film on that route currently. And in terms of television, in the order is Ballers, Billions, and Modern Family. I mean, Modern Family is almost in every freaking IFE. Yeah. But wow, it's it's fascinating. They also say that on that route, they've served more than 450,000 meals which is crazy when you think about it. White wine is the most popular wine in economy, but business and premium economy prefer red. And in economy, the most popular meal is the Guinness beef pie with potato mash, whilst in business class, it's a split between the Cone Bay Bramundi and the beef and Yorkshire pudding. (laughs) 
I said, <laughs> they should all do this. It's so interesting. It's fascinating, man. I love that kind of stuff. Anyway, and also it's very interesting to see that out of the outbound passengers, so people who fly from Perth, about 20% are from Melbourne, actually, 7% from Sydney, and 6% from Brisbane. So uh, suggesting that if they open ever a Sydney or Melbourne flight direct to London, they could be extremely successful. Did they say why they're releasing all this information or... I think it was still in this game to say, okay, Boeing Airbus waiting for you to release oh, one of these aircraft. And to quite the naysayers to say, look, nobody believed it would be a successful flight. Sure. We have, yeah. I think it was 94, not 96, 94% of capacity. I mean, which is, you know, the industry average probably is 80%. On a 17 hours flight, although they beat that time all the time, 94% is pretty darn impressive. Yeah, it is. So they fly that, as we know, with a Boeing 787-9. That's the second longest route in the world. I think also the fifth uh, longest route in the world is Houston to Sydney by United, also in a Dreamliner-9. And United also flies San Francisco to Singapore, which is the eighth longest flight in the world with also the Dash 9. But we had some pretty dire news about the Dash 9 through whistleblowers, haven't we? Yes. Yeah, it... uh... Wow. Well, I'm trying to think of the right word to describe this. It, it, devastating is too easy. Yeah. And I'm also, I'm a little hesitant to take this at face value. This was an article in the New York Times. Yes, New absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it was a damning report of the manufacturing processes and the QA processes at the Charleston, South Carolina factory where the 7879 is assembled. Yes, it was very damning. The challenge that the article is getting in terms of not authenticity, but incredibility is that these were people, not exclusively, but uh, a lot of them were either retired or laid off by Boeing, by Boeing, and which shouldn't automatically imply that they are not uh, valid. Yeah, of course. Yeah, not valid or even or even anti Boeing. But and actually, very interestingly, uh, when this article came out, somebody on Reddit said, yeah, I was at Boeing for about a year and a half. And a lot of what this guy's, these people are saying is true. And mm. it's this unhealthy mix of business practices and manufacturing practices that haven't, uh, haven't changed with the times. But it was a harrowing read. Yeah, because I think what they say is that, you know, traditionally uh, Boeing has been building airplanes in Seattle. Seattle? What was the name of the the actual location in Char- in South Carolina? No, no, the other the, the traditional plant. Oh, in Renton, Boeing. right? Is and it? yeah, I think it's Renton. This one was made especially for the Dreamliner because the company had banked so much on the Dreamliner success, and it is a success. But it opened in a, an area which is not traditionally an aircraft manufacturer area. Yep. They didn't want to have unionized workers. So they, they had two problems in terms of supply chain of talent because they didn't have in the region the right talent. And of course, they didn't want the unions as well. And they had also the pressure from a corporate, a bit of the story that we're hearing on the 737 MAX, which we're not going to cover today because we've done enough of it for the moment. Though the pressure to compete, of course, with, with Airbus and to deliver these airplanes. And what is said is that comparing the Dreamliner's build in the traditional plant to South Carolina, which is a newer plant, the South Carolina assembly is not as robust is more shoddy, that's even the term that is being used, as the other one. And there's also a podcast you can listen to on the New York Times as well, when you have one of the whistleblowers, his nicknamed Swampy. He describes how 
people would leave stuff within the aircraft. They will forget, you know, bolts. There was even a ladder that was forgotten in the tail of the aircraft. An aircraft that actually had Freaking taken ladder. A, a test flight already. We're not talking about, oh, we found. And also st- very disturbing stories about parts that were discarded as being not, the quality control wasn't there. But because they were so hurried in actually delivering those aircraft, some of these parts were retaken from basically the trash bin and put back into aircrafts because they needed to deliver, deliver, deliver. So again, we don't... Look, not a single Dreamliner ever crashed. It has a pristine track record. It's still... That Swampy said that he wouldn't put his name on a single plane from Charleston. He was the last line of defense as a quality manager before the flying public, and that's the role of a quality manager. He, he said that that's why he stopped working at Boeing. He was actually demoted at some point because he had asked some questions. He said, you know, we don't want you to ask questions, so we put you away from the assembly line, which is, again, we don't know, right? Here, we're just reporting what's been... And I encourage you to listen at least to the podcast. It's 30 minutes on um, the New York Times Daily. That's the name. And you just look for an episode about Boeing. <sighs> he says that uh, he overheard in meetings, managers, these planes are too smart to fall out of the skies. We don't need any inspectors. Uh, which As deadly <sighs> thinking as they have already proven with the 737 MAX yeah. 8, yeah, unfortunately. And the one airline that agrees with that is Qatar. Qatar refuses any of the Dreamliners that are made in Charleston and only takes the Dreamliners made in the traditional plant of Boeing, saying, these ones are not good, we don't want them, we only want the other ones. There you go. That's pretty damning. That's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, we don't know what to think more about that because like Alex said perfectly, I mean, this is you say, I say, and we don't know where it comes from. I mean, the New York Times is a pretty solid reputation in terms of investigation. I'm sure that it's... But yeah, at least what is certain is, and that's the same line than the, the 737 MAX, Boeing needs an introspection into its uh, culture. Yeah, absolutely. And whether or not they'll get it remains to be seen. Everett. That's where it's, they are built. Everett. <laughs> sorry, guys. Renton, Renton is a 737. Seattle. Yes, I'm so sorry. And you told me a little bit about the 737. Come on. I just said we wouldn't, but you said that the Southwest might have been coming to Europe to take a look at the 220. Yeah, Southwest have apparently been to to Europe to chat about the 220. Interestingly, not to Airbus, but to an operator of the 220, which got my mind racing. Who is it? To uh, basically Air Baltic or Swiss. Yeah. And how, how they have found the deployment, how they found the... The dispatch reliability. I, I'm sure that it's just a posturing move towards Boeing Maybe. to say you need to sort this out and you need to sort <laughs> it out forever. Even um, uh, David Nealman, in an interview I heard with him recently, reflecting on the founding of JetBlue, he was flirting with with Boeing and actually in deep talks with Boeing because he'd come from Southwest, and he went over to Toulouse to talk to Airbus, and Airbus said, "Are you just here to you know look like you're flirting with us to Boeing?" And he's like, "Yeah." Absolutely. Uh, and of course, and Airbus no, no, said, hey, no. hey, you know, come on, uh, have a look. And of course, now JetBlue is an all Airbus fleet. Well, not all Airbus, but predominantly Airbus fleet, which I think is pretty oh. funny. 
people were divided. Some people would say it's the smartest model ever to rely on a single aircraft, and others say, no, it's better to rely on two, and that's why they would be good. Posturing or not, it is interesting to think about what could happen if they were to split their fleet with a 220 that proves to be an aircraft really worthy because a lot of interest from a lot of airlines. There, There is. There really is. I think it's been proven to be a huge hit. So back to Asia a little bit. A few feedbacks, especially for you, Alex. Uh-huh. Alex, you were right. Uh, oh, that's Hong good. Kong- Stop there. <laughs> yes, that's the end of the show, guys. We're not going to do any more. <laughs> Hong Kong is absolutely incredible. A fantastic week with my boy. That's Dave Morales on Twitter, at Morales on Twitter. He enjoyed a 315 Cathay Business. I was listening to our latest podcast when he was, I think, flying over Taipei. So he thanks us for that. Uh, yeah, of course, Hong Kong is fantastic. But Alex is better fantastic. than anyone. Yeah. And uh, since we're in Hong Kong, uh, another LA flyer at LA Flyer. Oh, yeah. uh, remember the story we were wondering about when I was flying back from San Francisco to Hong Kong. I said, you know, the menu wasn't that great and yeah. the service was oh, a bit yeah, rushed, yeah, etc. Yeah. Did you get uh, some And insight? he says, you're right about Cathay Pacific's abbreviated meal service on late evening West Coast departures. But then he says, but it's made up for by this amazing in-flight snack option, one of the best burgers in flight or on the ground. And he put a picture on it. I didn't try the burger I should have because when I look at the picture, it looks pretty damn good. Have you ever had a burger at Cathay Pacific? Cathay, I don't think that I have. Huh. (laughs) Have you read the crazy story about Hong Kong Airlines and who's actually the boss of Hong Kong Airlines? Yeah, there's been this. (laughs) It's crazy. Man, that airline, I mean, Hong Kong Express, obviously, that's no longer in the equation. And not that they were directly related, but they were owned by the same parent organization. They've been bought by Cathay. But yeah, there's this bizarre fighting now about who owns it. And you know what I actually think this comes down to is who is liable for what is about to be uncovered? (laughs) And that's purely speculation on my part. I know nothing. And I just, there's been so much weirdness in and around that organization recently. And this this <laughs> wrangling between directors and everything has just been so weird. The current chairman was part of one shareholder group. This one showed up basically in the office with a group of people, arrived there, says, I'm the chairman now. He's also a shareholder, obviously. Interestingly, though, I think it's called Zong. This guy who says he's now the actual chairman, whereas the other one is still there, so we don't know. This one was actually opposed to the sale of Hong Kong Express. So is there a trigger there? Maybe there is. And Zong had actually almost 49% of Hong Kong Express. So he was probably pissed because he was not just a majority and lost because Hong Kong Express was was sold. The mess behind the scenes, that must be crazy. Yeah. We know the HNA has a lot of debt and so there must be something going on there. I don't there know. is definitely something going on. What it is, maybe we'll never find out, but they're not doing this very elegantly. One bad news. Ah, come on. Maybe not bad. But one thing that I was very surprised about Cathay Pacific is uh, that the management had to publicly say that they will try to stop their employees from stealing stuff like Hagen dice ice cream, bottles of champagnes, and cutlery. Yeah, this is... What? This is weird. They had to come out and say that it's it's a problem enough for the CEO to comment on it, to come out in, in a... 
I don't know if it was an interview or a press release or whatever, but I think it was on a um, BBC radio. So I think yeah, it was that, that, yeah. that this is a problem, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or, or or big enough to be mentioned as a problem. I can assure you all that this is not uh, exclusive to Cathay Pacific, that pretty much every airline in the world has this. I, I wanted to trigger you, Alex, as well. <laughs> I remember hearing a story about an airline, I won't even get into specifics because it's pretty much criminal behavior, but that uh, no matter how many people were on the airplane, the flight was always catered full. So yeah. that all of the alcohol would then disappear at the end of the flight. What? All of the bottles of champagne and scotch <laughs> would disappear. They were already paid for. So, yeah, I don't. It's certainly not at that level. I mean, Hagen does no. here and there. You know, is at the end of the world. No, but it, clearly, it's a problem enough for them to go. This, this is this is a little bit of a. We're seeing it in the numbers, you know? <laughs> Something does, doesn't quite add up. Though the, the one difference between what he said and what the press was saying before, he doesn't exclusively uh, lie the blame on employees. He says yeah, passengers are also stealing stuff. Yeah, He's probably right. I mean, we just heard about, you know, Emirates and people stealing freaking NSC bottles and stuff. So probably passengers are also stealing stuff. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, especially on long haul flights where there's no one in the galley and must not be that hard. Have some... I guess. I never tried, but. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, since we're in Asia to Japan, on May 1st, we're entering a new era in Japan. Golden Week is starting, I think, in two days on the 27th. Uh, Golden Week, for those who don't know, Japan is probably one of the biggest holidays in Japan. They don't get a lot of holidays, actually, in Japan of days off, so it's actually a very important one. And so the emperor is abdicating. It's the first on April 30th, which is just before May 1st. And then the crown prince, Naruhito, will accede the throne. I think it's called the Chrysanthemum throne or something. Uh, that will only happen in October, but de facto, it will be the new emperor. And every time there's a new emperor, there's a new era. Why does that matter? Because, actually, and you've seen that now that you've been uh, off in Alex, you know, many other cultures and countries have secondary calendars that they use. You know, we know that there's an Iranian calendar, there's a Jewish calendar, there's many alternative calendars. But in most cases, these calendars are there for tradition. They're not really using official papers. In right. Japan, however, the Heisei, when I was living there, Heisei is the date you're seeing on all the official papers or immigration yeah. papers. So it actually does matter. I remember the first time I arrived, I don't remember now, probably it was Heisei, can't recall, guys, I'm really sorry, but... You know, the first time you read a date, let's say it was 2000, maybe seven, and you see, let's pretend 12, you're like, what? So the entire system is based on this. And now they have to switch all the computers and you see where I'm getting at. That's their Y2K. Uh, that's <laughs> that's oh their bug God. from the millennial because suddenly they have to, and that impacts airlines as well. Of course, now we're very close to the date. Everything should be going fine, but they invested a lot of money to actually make sure that the transition would work, that all the systems would work, all the CRM, all the ticketing system, everything I would actually print the right date and not suddenly you know, lose. Da, 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 yeah, yeah. That's, that's I, a very interesting. I suppose, though, this is the first time where they've had advanced warning. <laughs> yeah, because, of course, uh, usually the emperor would pass away and then there would be a new one. This one, Akihito actually said that he would want to retire. They changed the law because they never had that occurrence in the past. He will actually be called Emperor Emeritus once he's uh, basically retired. It's the first, I mean, 
it's not modern times. Akihito is not that old, but in times of, you know, very heavy IT industry that yeah. have to switch to date. And that's fascinating. The Ministry of Economic Trade and Industry has been, you know, reminding companies. I mean, really like the same thing happened between 1999 and 2000 in the rest of the world. You know, driver's license, everything as, as this, this system. Uh, even Microsoft, uh, Japan had to go and make sure that everybody was using the right version of Windows and it was updated to being able to handle the day change because they're very specific code for that and you know how it is some corporates might have very old systems that right. they haven't fascinating stuff man it is it really is i don't envy them having to do this either no, especially don't. during a week yeah. off <laughs> so let's see if you have any trouble with your uh, ticketing or maybe you suddenly i don't know maybe your freaking flyer mile system on ana will give you like uh, retrospectively like hundreds of thousands of miles which that happens good. to you i will yeah. take them <laughs> have you seen that jolly's Announcing a uh, long haul, low cost. Yeah, uh, what are they calling it? That's the thing. There's no name yet. They haven't actually said the name. They have a nickname, Zip Air. Zip, that's it. That was it. But I it think was... they say it's not the brand name. They say it's a code name for the project. Yeah, like, like David Nealman's Moxie is unlikely yeah. to be called Moxie. <laughs> because there's a, I think there's, some, there's, a trade, there's a hotel brand called Moxie. And I think also there's a oh. Zip. Yeah, it's Marriott, I think. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize. Yeah. Is this going to work? I I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, so they say that it's going to be a separate company than Jell, because Jell already has this, what, uh, Jell Express, what's the name of the... Uh, but that's a... Is it even a low cost? It's a medium cost, probably. Because commu- they've got J Air, they've got Japan Air Commuter, Japan Transocean Air, and then if you read it... But they're all regionals. They're not low cost. Uh, there's a... Oh, there's a Jetstar Japan, which is... Jetstar is... I think it's Qantas owns parts of it, and JAL also owns parts of it, but I think it's only domestic. They're not doing anything international. And when we're talking long haul, they want to fly from Narita to Europe, to US, and other parts of Asia. And obviously, they want to start for the Olympics, which is smart. They say they will be using two refurbished uh, Dreamliner Dash 8 on year one, and then add two other Dash 8s uh, per year for the next four years. So they will get to maybe 10 aircrafts or something. Either leased from JAL or order. They haven't said that as well. <laughs> they said that it won't be textbook low-cost carrier, but it won't be traditional. I don't know where they're going. Well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Scoot? Maybe. I don't know. The one thing that's for sure is they're going to hire new personnel. So new pilots. There's not going to be people transferring from JAL with their legacy contracts. So that, at least there's that. I don't know. We'll see. I, I just, I don't know. I think if they go like Norwegian, then they're, it feels like they're too close to the JAL mainline product. If they go Scoot, I can see it working. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to understand how all these yep. things work, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And I'm also, because we know the level of service that exists in Japan, when I fly Starflyer, which is a low cost, you enter and you're like, this is not a low cost. I mean... It's a low cost, clearly, for Japan. Peach is another one. Peach actually is owned by ANA. You've, you've flown Peach? I have flown Peach. I flew Peach from yeah, Seoul right. to Osaka, yeah. How was it? Great. It was low cost. Low cost, you know, experience. So you don't get anything that you don't pay for and that other than water and tea. That, that's fine. It was very good. Friendly, efficient, punctual, of course, because it's Japan. Yeah, um, it's a... Uh... 
but yeah, A and A have a strong low cost. They've got, like you say, peach and vanilla air. Uh, I love that. I know. vanilla. <laughs> but there's a weird one is A and A Holdings and one is A and A, and I don't know. That's it's complicated. Um, yeah, structure. Yeah, I can't remember what the word is in Japanese for those massive. Uh, yeah. um, uh, um, I have the term in, in the Korean one, cable, but not in my head. But it's uh, that. Uh, it's that. Yeah, it's that. Exactly. So anyway, and Jal really don't have it because Jal remember they Jal were, were bankrupt until ten years ago, so they haven't had the opportunity to expand and uh, they were the national carrier as well yeah. so they had a very different uh, story yeah they are actually already because you know the definition of what is long haul varies because obviously from japan you are kind of long haul ish to pretty much anywhere yeah. i mean except korea actually because i think air asia x uh, already flies from japan to malaysia for instance uh, scoot uses fifth freedom to fly from kansai to other parts of asia i think think maybe there's another one but meaning that there's um there's already you know some stuff you know the only thing that is missing is there's no one flying apart from i think air canada does vancouver to kansai with a low cost structure that's what i've heard oh using is it rouge Rouge? but then we got some flack for saying that rouge was low cost didn't we (laughs) yeah we weren't get we didn't get flack we got we we were correctly corrected (laughs) correctly exactly but meaning there's no one doing long haul low cost from japan to north america yeah full point and that's where they're going because all the others we mentioned scoot etc are doing to asia and again the definition of of long haul when everything is like six hours away obviously well what is long haul but uh, yeah good luck to them and yeah. i'm sure we're gonna learn more about that very soon because they will have to come up with a name i hope it's gonna be a cool one yeah um probably not <laughs> have you vanilla heard of- air is anything to go by <laughs> have you heard about s ride that's another cool name i don't think i have so that's not an airline guys but if you ever travel to japan Uber is very limited in Japan. If you have some Uber, you know, limousine, the black, whatever, but you have not a lot. And you have other apps, but now Sony has just released its apps called S-Ride. It's only in Japanese, and I'm not even sure you can download it anywhere else but the Japanese app store, so you need to kind of create an account there. But it uses taxis, but it uses five of the major taxi operators uh, meaning you have coverage pretty much anywhere in Japan with a single app. I wonder if they find that it's just not worth the time, energy, and money to translate it. Yeah, but with the Olympics coming, you kind of... Uh, it very would be good smart point. To and the that. Rugby World Cup this year. Yeah, exactly. It would be good because a lot of people are used to ride-sharing and they're not going to find anything and uh, it would be maybe good. Anyway, s right, guys, if you want to try that and if you do, let us know how it is. Another thing that I didn't know existed, Muji as a hotel... What? <sighs> what? I love Muji. <laughs> so I read that the other day. They opened a hotel in Ginza. Let's say the traditional Fifth Avenue type area in Tokyo. Uh, never stay there. But they have one there, which is above a Muji, actually. But one thing I didn't know is that this is their third hotel. The first one was in Shenzhen and the second one was in Beijing. I had no idea. I did not know that. <laughs> And now I must go. <laughs> exactly. The price is actually really good. And the, you mean the room looks moochy. I mean, the room looks moochy. Honestly, you're like almost in a store. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah, sold. Nah, yeah, me too. So, still in Japan, we talked about the delivery of uh, ANA's 380 with the turtle fantastic. Yeah, delivery. beautiful. <laughs> and now we've seen pictures actually from how it looks from the inside. Well, yeah. it looks like a ANA plane. Yeah, they did. They had um, they had renderings before, and then they've just released these images. It looks great. It looks great. 
it's very A and A. I mean, there's nothing different. I mean, there's one thing I'll come to that in a minute, but there's nothing different. It's great, guys. Don't take that negatively. I was maybe expecting that they would go for something a bit different because they uh, yeah. Israel well, they is have. Going to it's, it's a little bit less, like I've always said, sort of hospital clinically. <laughs> they've taken some of that away, and they've added a little bit of a very light wood, Gray. faux wood paneling. Uh, that's the, the front, yeah, 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 a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They also are playing a lot, at least in the pictures, with the mood lightning. Of course, that 380 has with airspace, the product. So they're making a really fun, like, um, a losing rainbow. Yeah, rainbow. <laughs> rainbow colors <laughs> within the cabin. It's actually fun. The seat, you know what, for me, what strikes me the most? Maybe it's because I see the seat from ANA for the first time in the context of the 380. Now I get why it's the same seat as 380 from Emirates. It is the same seat. Now that I see it in context, I'm like, yeah, of course. The structure, everything is the same. I mean, they've decorated completely different in Emirates, but it is the same seat. I would have never thought that flying in, in an ANA 777. I always thought it was a bespoke, different seat. No, it is the same seat. I, I'm always fascinated by that, that, you know, they really are ultra-customizable. And what you're buying is the metal The framework, you know, underneath of it. And then, so there really is no excuse to do something great with it, you know? And they're introducing something that is called Sky Kuchi. Let me mispronounce that on purpose. Uh, it's in the last seven, I think, rows of economy. So there's no bar or whatever, by the way, in that thing, right? But the last seven rows of economy will have sleeper seats. So they simply license a product that Air New Zealand has. So you can book an entire row of three to four seats with, you know, a little kind of ottoman that goes from below yeah. the feet. And that will create an actual bed. Strangely, by the way, in order to make the bed fit correctly, the leg room on these seats is less than the rest of economy. But you'll be able to be two people on these seats or even with your kids. That will be fine as well. And the flights from... Tokyo to Honolulu is like, what, eight hours? So it's worth it. I, you know what? This My experience with bidding on seats with uh, Etihad got me thinking about this. If you book that whole row and you do this, what is to stop somebody? I mean, I think it's probably less of an issue for ANA in Japan than it is for other airlines around the world. But how, how do they stop people from just sitting in that empty seat as soon as the seatbelt sign's been turned off? I think it works well with... Uh, Air New Zealand. Air New Zealand. Yeah, okay. But probably it's it's written. There must be something that says these seats are whatever. I, yeah. I don't know exactly. If I'm flying alone... Is it worth for me to book three seats as a single person? They haven't announced pricing, so I have no idea, but I am not sure. Two people, yeah, you're going for, you know, your honeymoon and you want to be able to sleep and you spend some extra cash. Probably one, I'm not sure how it works. I don't know how it works either. How competitive it is pricing-wise or I'm very sure you're not paying for the full, all four seats at, at, at nah, sale. I doubt maybe. so. No, I doubt so. One would hope. <laughs> if you've done it, and if anyone, if you guys have done it, let us know. I'd be very yeah. interested. Um, in Japan, still, we mentioned as well in the last, sort of pre to last episode where we're talking about these new aircraft coming up, the Mitsubishi. Yeah. The Mitsubishi that was long delayed is apparently almost ready now. Fantastic. Yeah. They also have a short version that they're certifying on a, a slightly more uh, aggressive timeline, aren't they? Yeah, because I think. 
the longer version has this problem with the scalp closes in the US, it's too heavy and la la la, and then regional uh, carriers that work under you know licensees of the big ones, United, would not be able to buy it, whereas a small one is the perfect aircraft for regional traffic. And of course, for them, for Mitsubishi, it would be a fantastic uh, market to get because currently they have orders in Japan. They have quite a lot. I think they have more than 400, but that doesn't make the program profitable. They need to sell more of these aircraft. With the long, long, long delays they've had, because it's the first aircraft that has been built in Japan since the 60s or something. You know what's crazy is that there's, in total, there's only... 47 orders from Japan. Oh, wow. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows how old this data is that I'm looking at, but they've got they've got 100 from SkyWest with 100 options and okay. 50 from Transstate Holdings, who I guess must be a leasing company, another 50. In Japan, it's 15 for ANA with 10 options and 32 firm orders from JAL. But those orders were placed over four years ago. Four years ago for JAL, over 11 years ago for ANA. So Crazy. Yeah, That's insane. I I, but, I I don't know what's going to happen with this poor thing. But it's close this time, so I really hope they are getting because I read also a number that was quite staggering. The market for these jets with fewer seats probably reach almost 140 billion dollars size uh, worldwide. China, et cetera, et cetera. That's also, uh, by the way, China is also building a regional jet, and I've read somewhere that Korea, Korea. Aerospace something is also studying to create a hundred passenger aircraft. So it's it's a market that everybody wants. So I hope Mitsubishi pulls it off. One would hope, and I think people are looking at the success of the A220 and trying to go, I want a piece of that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe not quite like that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Well, anyway, I hope that we're going to see this aircraft. Even if it's only in Japan, I want to fly it. Like we always say, we like to fly other stuff yeah. and the usual stuff. So to the airport, you've never been to Kushiro. Never heard of it. So you had been to Hokkaido, so New Chitose, we covered it. And you stayed in the region as well when you were filming, Correct. I think. When I landed, I landed at actually New Chitose. Just context a little bit of the trip because it was a fun trip to do. That was in the middle of the winter, probably February. I went to the Sapporo Snow Festival, oh, cool. which is fantastic in Sapporo. It's really, really cool, you guys, if you have the chance to do that once. Then I took uh, Japan Rail, the Okotsk, I think it's the name of the line. It goes from Sapporo to the very north of Hokkaido, in Abashiri and it's a fantastic train because you have you know you have these walls of snow on each side basically right you see nothing but snow five meters high or something it's absolutely fantastic and I arrived at Abashiri there's an ice festival drift ice festival so sculptures in ice it's a smaller festival obviously the one in Sapporo but it's really cool if you guys can actually do it one day I'm not becoming attaché here but telling you what to do guys by the way <laughs> Alex a, never tells you I what I tell you to what do. to do that's your problem <laughs> listen to Paul <laughs> You can also do, which I've done, it's fantastic from Abachiri, you have these uh, icebreakers ships, and you can go, because we're very close to Russia at this point, right? The sea is through the ice, and you go on an icebreaker, and you see the ice being broken, it's honestly fantastic. From there, from Abashiri, rented a car, 
to go towards the airport of the Kushiro. But why a car? Because in between these two spots, from the north to the eastern side, the southern uh, eastern side of uh, Hokkaido, is a very large natural reserve for cranes. Cranes are these big, big birds, endangered species. So they have these conservation area, basically. And um, they come, of course, because, you know, these are birds. They do not stay there. But they come, and it was that period. They were all there. Yet, like, I remember this. You had these all Japanese people with cameras they were the size of my car you know <laughs> taking like with super oh, zooms yeah. and taking pictures That's it was right. fantastic you know and like they would stay like literally not moving waiting for that one shot for like hours and it was so cold but anyway it's a f- I'm not a you know especially a lover of cranes, but it's a beautiful reserve to visit. Yeah, of course, museum and everything. It's wonderful. These these birds are absolutely fantastic. So this is why I had taken a car and then ended up in um, Kushiro, which is again in the south. It's a tiny city, right? I mean, there's not a lot to do. I mean, like in everywhere in Hokkaido, you can eat great, delicious crab, and you sh- you should absolutely uh, do that it's if you're there. So uh, also, by the way. Driving on the snow in, in Hokkaido is purely fantastic. And for me, it was my first experience driving the same way you guys drive here in the UK. It's on the wrong side, not the right side, not the wrong side. I don't know which side is wrong and right anymore. Uh, so the airport itself is tiny because it has three gates. Uh, a, B, and C. That's about it. I told you guys at the beginning of the show it would be a very, very small airport and a very short description. It has mainly A and A. This is how I flew to New Jesus. This is how I flew back to uh, Haneda. Uh, it was a 320, whereas to Chitose they would fly 777s in, in back in the day uh, 747s. So it's really a different experience. Wow. And it, you can arrive there like literally two minutes before your flight because first is Japan, but there's no one because we're really talking about a very tiny airport. I think Peach flies also there to Kansai, to KIX actually. For some reason, doesn't fly to ITM. I don't know why, because KIX is more like far. But yeah. Anyway. Tiny airport, still has three stories. I think the arrival is on the first floor where there's basically like a coffee shop and that's pretty much it. The second floor is the departures with a security check and there's one gift shop and maybe a coffee shop. (laughs) The third floor is cool because there's a small restaurant, but there's a, you can actually see the, the apron which again, we're talking three gates, so do not expect a lot of aircraft to be there. (laughs) But it's a great way to spend a few minutes. So if you have to choose where you want to spend a few minutes, choose the third floor instead maybe of the second floor. There are some views on the second floor. So really tiny airport. But what I love about, and you remember when we did the uh, Busuanga episode earlier this year, I love when tiny airports not pretend, because that's not the, the right word, but do as if they were a big airport. So you have all their announcements, all the big screens, and you're like, guys, I have three gates in front of me. You don't need to do like huge pianos. And you know how the Japanese can be process-based for that. It was, it's really funny to see all these announcements and paperwork it. and maps of the airport. I'm like, maps of the airport? Literally, <laughs> I can see it's from a- one end to the other. <laughs> exactly. A, B, C. You can- and basically, there's never two flights at the same time. So there's one flight boarding. Anyway, 
very, very cute airport that was opened, I think, in the 60s. Had a pretty big runway, as I tell you, cannot handle anything more than a 320, I think. Interestingly, though, at some point, that's a sign, you know, I keep saying that Japan has too many airports. I'm very happy about that, but they probably has too many airports because municipalities tend to build airports all the time. The municipality there at some point wanted it to be an international airport, a bit like uh, Malta in the beginning. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. But they had actually flights uh, to Korea, to Hong Kong, and to Taiwan. But that was short-lived, sadly. I don't know if it's still running. There was even at some point a flight that would fly from New Chitose in probably three seconds. <laughs> and also, by the way, if you don't want to drive and you don't want to do the Akan National Park, that's where uh, the cranes are, there's also an airport next to this uh, Abashiri, the ice festival. I think it's called Memembetsu Airport. It's even tinier. I didn't visit that one. Anyway, so the only one thing you have to know, that there's no rail, there's no fancy stuff like you see elsewhere in Japan, you have to drive from the city to the airport, take a cab. It's probably seven minutes, no more. For me, I didn't have to do that because I basically left my car that I rented at the airport. But very tiny airport, very cute. If you ever in Hokkaido do a tour like I did, it's worth your time. Even if you're not in nature, especially, it's a fantastic place. For the rest, you can see uh, Alex's episode in Sapporo to have a taste of what it looks like there. It's Yeah, it's such a unique part of... Japan, that uh, it, it's definitely worth your time. You have great onsens as well in the south yeah. of Sapporo. Noboribetsu is very well known for, you know, the entire island is a volcanic thing anyway, but you have like very hot water, sulfuric water coming from the deep downs of this earth. Great place to visit and to enjoy a little bit of nature and quiet and great crab again. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so good. There you go, Alex. You have to go there one day. I do. I know. Well, now I have to. You're right. <laughs> So do you have any next flights planned? I do. Uh, Before see, we record, but maybe, you know, because of course you have. I know he has a program which will fly into the moon and back yep. before the end of this year. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I'm not going anywhere before we record next, unless we don't record for three weeks. But <laughs> then I get into a busy season, so it'll be a lot of a lot of travel in May and June. Good. Yeah. You? As I said, I'm restricting travel on purpose. Amsterdam in two weeks. So maybe we'll record another one before, maybe just after I come back to Amsterdam. But until next time, Alex. Safe travels, guys. And we love you 3000.